remember in 2021, we spoke of a figure of 23,000 plus mm. teenage children who had given birth, live births. Now, this was reported as children aged between 10 and 18. And us as an organization quickly emphasized that you cannot refer to a 10-year-old as a teenager firstly, and what they experience is not a result of sexual activity or sexual behavior. Those are rape cases. So we have got in those 23,000 a significant number of children that were raped in the um, reflected in the last statistics on teenage pregnancy, which have increased. And, you know, the issue is that these are births that are recorded, live births. This doesn't take into account terminated pregnancies. This doesn't take into account concealed pregnancies. This doesn't take into account um, stillbirths. So this number could easily double because of the stigma around pregnancy and the stigma around sexual abuse and the non-reporting of people who encounter children who have been violated. Now, which are the areas or provinces that are hotspots and, and what are the contributing factors there? I'm going to start with the contributing factors because I think if we look at it as a as a, um, a national issue, rather than trying to pinpoint that in, in, in location A, this is what it is, poverty, unemployment, and a lack of education. Those are the three biggest. Because if you look at research around teenage pregnancy, and I'm very hesitant to use that term because, as I initially said, 10-year-olds are not Mm. teenagers. But if we look at the statistics around contributing factors um, towards teenage pregnancy, poverty plays a significant role. And this is because when somebody is being financially abused, they have no power to negotiate their sexual wellness, firstly. Then we look about, we look at the phenomenon of blessers. They use money to lure children into having sex with them and then they impregnate them. Then we look at the family structure. What is the level of information and access to resources that perpetuate families remaining silent, especially when their children have been impregnated by somebody who can put something as simple as a loaf loaf of bread on their table. So poverty is the biggest contributing factor. Then we go to little aspects such as culture and we look at tradition and we look at the morality of sex. If you remember, um, sex used to and rape used to be under the morality act. So it meant that anything around that had an element of your dignity associated with it. So parents never spoke to their children about sex. Now, these are the same parents and grandparents that are parenting children today who have sex available at their fingertips. So that conversation has got a gap in it. And then we look at unemployment. We went through COVID, and COVID did the most on children because parents couldn't feed their families, and children would do anything to eat. Children would be sitting in the house, and they didn't have anything to do, so they'd just start having sex with each other. They'd, have, they'd talk about sex, and they didn't know how to do it because nobody was... Um, engaging them in a healthy way of having sex. So that's why I said that if we look at it nationally, we're able to dissect. But the bigger thing here, Elvis, is that 
you and I are having this conversation, the minister is calling for communities to report, but what are the teenagers understanding about sex? What do they know about sex? Why are they having sex? And I think with the resources that we have, and these children are significantly more informed than we were um, as teenagers, being able to harvest that information will actually help communities um, to, to understand what's going on. But even if we say communities report, Elvis, we have got professionals who have cited codes of conduct to report child abuse who do not report child abuse. So we can't uh-huh. rely on them as being a safeguarding measure. In the end, beyond uh, Child Protection Week, what can communities do and even government to protect children from perpetrators? Oh, the, the responsibility, unfortunately, has got to be very creative, innovative. So communities must firstly destigmatize sex amongst children. We've got to be very honest and very brutal. Our children are having sex. Now we've got to step up and say, how are they having sex? Um, who are they having sex with? There's a thing um, in your introduction you talked about statutory rape. Now, statutory rape, the victim is also a witness in that. Imagine a 18-year-old girl who's found herself a Jonathan who is maybe 25, and she feels like she's in love. She is not going to stand before that court and say, John is a criminal, he raped me. And yet that is what has happened. So help communities understand. We need to start talking about relationships, even if it is uncomfortable. When you sit with your child, talk to them about their body. Talk to them about sex, because it's a yes. natural um, it's a natural way of mm-hmm. being. And they're going to be curious, and they're talking to friends. You yes. would rather be the person informing your child about sex and not Jonathan who's going to come and misinform them. Right. So break down barriers.